Welcome back, episode 16, Rounding Through the Baseball Podcast. Lots of news to cover. Let's jump into it. Today, Today I, consider I consider myself, myself the luckiest, the luckiest man, man on the face, on of, the face of the earth. James uh it's, you know we're working on a on a tight schedule here news is flying in we got a bunch of trades to talk about today um but first let's talk about some injury news that affects your division in the NL West what do you have to say well so with players arriving back to camp uh, the San Diego Padres have officially come up with the news that Fernando Tatis Jr you know, I would argue face a baseball dynamic young killer. Um, Fractures wrist is going to require surgery, and he's going to be sidelined at least three months, given the accelerated schedule towards opening day. I mean, that pretty much means he's going to maybe be active around July, but miss a lion's share of the season. Um, so, obviously, I guess good for NL West fans, bad for baseball fans alike. I mean, Fernando Tatis was electricity, so... Uh, We'll definitely miss some some good moments in some of those marquee matchups. Yeah, I mean it's a bummer. I think it was a motorcycle accident or something like that. I, I think we t- touched on it a few weeks, uh, a few episodes ago. But I don't know if it's the same accident. It must be the same accident. I, I read somewhere that he has like this new view upon life and his commitment to his team and his family and all this stuff. But it's tough to see. I mean. You don't wish injuries upon anybody. It would be nice to see Fernando Tatis playing, but it's just the way it is. Um, but how about we jump into some news, James? Um, so we've got a couple free agency signings and three big-time trades. Let's just start running through them. Um, so first, a big trade in the American League between the Minnesota Twins and the New York Yankees. The Minnesota Twins are sending former MVP Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, who was just traded to Minnesota two days before he's now traded to New York, and uh, some catcher Ben Rortvet for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela, who have been you know kind of big pieces of the Yankees the past couple of years. So they're basically trading one year left on Gary Sanchez's contra- contract, two years on Gio Urshela's contract, for two years of Josh Donaldson and two years for Isaiah Kainafalefa. Um, it's an interesting deal because Josh Donaldson, obviously, he won, he won MVP. I think it was in 2015. Um, he kind of signed a, he signed a huge deal after that, but wasn't really able to perform at the level that, you know, maybe was expected of somebody getting paid that much money. So he's owed $21 million each of the next two years. For somebody who's he's productive, right? He had a good year last year, um, but he's definitely not performing on that MVP level. But I think he'll be a great fit in New York. Uh, despite that whole Garrett Cole drama last year, I think they'll be able to hash it out. He loves the big stage. He's a fiery character. And especially if they're going to lose Brett Garner, um, Josh Donaldson's a good player to come in and kind of take that aggressive, uh, you know, uh, aggressive standpoint, I guess, on that team. Um, 
it's an interesting trade. I think for the Twins, it's all about money. Um, they're kind of dumping Josh Donaldson's contract, and you're—I mean—you're getting decent players back. Gary Sanchez has not been great behind the plate. Gio Urshela has—you know—he's been okay, but it's all about money for the Twins. They're dumping those contracts, um, and the Yankees—I mean, the Yankees needed speed. They're losing two of their slower players, and they're getting a dynamic young shortstop in Kiner Falefa, who won a Gold Glove two years ago. Is not the great, not the best at the plate, but he's an electric shortstop. And Josh Donaldson, who when he's on, can hit him with the best of everybody. I mean, James, how do you think this shakes up the AL? What's um, what's your reaction? Yeah, I mean, I, I think your read is exactly correct. Um, the Twins are just salary dump. Let's regroup. Um, kind of get rid of assets. You know, the way I feel about it, I think you could look at it and say by dumping Gary and Geo, the Yankees are kind of shaking up a little bit of that core that they were building up. But probably for good reason, that lineup was way too good for how underwhelming it's been in the playoffs um, in particular. But I really don't think this Josh Donaldson moves their needle very far. I mean, like you said, when he's on, and he'll have those games. He'll have those series across 162 game season. Sure, you know he'll be the reason they win some games. But it's not like I woke up and saw, oh my gosh, the Yankees got Donaldson, you know, front runner to win it all. You know, it's not necessarily that. And uh, you know, I do worry because the Yankees have a nice time honored tradition of taking former players, especially players that have pop in their bat, and uh, essentially just obliterating and murdering their career in the Bronx. Yeah, and another reason I'm a little bit worried or question this from a Yankee perspective is you're picking up Josh Donaldson's contract, which is $21 million over the next two years. Aaron Judge is a free agent at the end of this year, summer of 2023, or after the 2022 season, 2023, he'll be a free agent. He's going to need to get paid if you want to keep him around. So I don't know if that $21 million is worth to be spending on Donaldson. I mean, obviously the Yankees are, are willing to go deep in the pocket, but it, it's just an interesting decision when you have Aaron Judge, who's you know basically the cornerstone of your franchise, um, up for free agency next year, who's probably going to want a massive deal. So that it's a bit interesting. Um, I, I you know one thing I really want to see is the the Donaldson Garrett Cole dynamic because I mean obviously you remember James when uh, the whole uh, a bit banning substances things for pitchers to decrease spin rate and all these different things was coming out. Josh Donaldson was one of the players that was you know yelling at all these pitchers and so adamant um, about it and specifically with Garrett Cole and they had a nice back and forth. Um, where they really seem to dislike each other. But now being on the same team, I mean, maybe it's just one of those things where you it's easy to hate that person, but when you're on the same team, you like love to have them as a teammate. Uh, do you think that will have an effect on this season at all, or do you think they'll be able to figure it out? Well, I saw Yankees management uh, actually ask Eric Cole, you know, to make sure his little infant baby feelings, the spider tack king himself, you want to cry and throw a temper tantrum because they brought in a 300 hitter uh, or sh just shy of a 300 hitter who complained about him breaking the rules of the game. But luckily, big baby boy uh, Garrett Cole was able to suck up his tears and say, oh, we'll make it work. You know, I, I want us to be competitive and get better. So it seems that Garrett Cole is uh, taking the high route 
high road and uh, not upset at Josh Donaldson for calling him out for breaking the MLB rules. How about this one? Um, let's move to the NL East. Uh, one of the, you know, probably the most competitive division in baseball at this point uh, with Philadelphia, Atlanta, um, and the Mets. But assigning for none of those teams, the Washington Nationals, who at this point kind of just seem irrelevant. Um, obviously, they won the World Series a couple years ago, but after losing Rendon and Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber and all these different players, Max, Max Scherzer, Scherzer, right, they're, they just kind of fallen off. But they signed Nelson Cruz, 42-year-old Nelson Cruz, who's still slugging for one year, $15 million. Um, it's interesting. You know, it's good to see them trying, at least, right? They could have packed it in or, or gotten rid of some of their players, like some teams we'll talk about later. Um, but they still have Juan Soto, who's probably the best young player in all of baseball. They have Steven Strasburg, who will be back uh, at some point in the season and obviously won World Series MVP, a great pitcher when he's healthy, which is the biggest question mark on him. And they got some other players, you know, Josh Bell and Cesar Hernandez in the infield. We'll see how this affects them. I mean, at some point, Nelson Cruz has to slow down. I mean, he's been slowing down for the past decade, but he's still able to slug um, slug home runs like anybody. But now at 42, he's getting older and older. At some point, um, he's going to hit the he's going to hit the wall. But I don't. I mean, maybe he signed. I would bet he just signed with Washington because they offered him you know 15 million dollars a year. But it's an interesting team to choose to go to in free agency, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, this one, I think of all the news I've seen since the lockout ended, this was by far the most surprised one. I definitely had to do a double take or two on Twitter to make sure that I read everything correct and I was, you know, comprehending everything that Nelson Cruz, in fact, went to the Nationals. Um, like you said, I echo your thoughts that it's at least nice to see one of these franchises kind of trying to get better, trying to make some moves. Um, but it just does not make sense. It, uh, you know, it just, I would, I think very confidently I can say Nelson Cruz gets, Nelson Cruz gets moved at the trade deadline to some other contender, some fringe bubble team, because I just don't think Nelson Cruz in combination with Soto is enough to carry that team anywhere really near being competitive in the NL East. So, you know, I don't get it. I think he probably took the biggest bang for his buck. And I think the Nationals are like, well, at least we're trying. We show our fans we're trying and uh, trying out this NLDH position uh, stuff. And then we'll see what we get at the trade deadline. It's my read. Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty good DH to have, too. Um, or at least, you know, the past couple of years he would have been. But I agree. I could see him getting moved at the deadline. You know, it was kind of like last year. He was on Minnesota, and right at the deadline, he got traded to a contender in the in Tampa Bay. So maybe we'll see something like that um, again this year. But how about we stay in the NL East? James, I'll kick this one to you. Brad Hand signed with the Philadelphia Phillies, um, a left-handed closer. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think this is one of those deals that just goes a little under the radar. A quick one-year, six milli. Um, for Brad Hand and the Phillies. Um, he's a left-handed closer. You know, not the best, but he's a pretty solid everyday closer, which by all intents and purposes, I'm pretty sure Philly's going to be giving him the ball as the 
night in, night out closer. Um, last year, six and seven record with a three nine ERA. He had twenty one saves on sixty eight games, pitching sixty four innings and recording sixty one strikeouts. So, you know, I mean, nothing to really write home about, but for the Phillies, who definitely had some question marks, especially on the back end of their uh, bullpen, you're at least getting some some consistency uh, in that position, kind of a, a trusted uh, guy to shut down the ship. Yeah, I agree. This is one that will probably go under the radar, especially with, you know, the news we've already talked about and the two big deals we're about to talk about. But, you know, it's solid value for the Phillies. Um, getting a left-handed closer uh, veteran in their bullpen. You know, we can go a long way, especially for a team with Bryce Harper that's in the market for Chris Bryant, a team that could really compete for a playoff spot and maybe even compete for a World Series um, with that great rotation that they have. So we'll have to see on that one. Um, but let's talk about these two big deals. So these are the, the two, um, I would say, major deals that have happened since our last episode. Starting in Atlanta, the reigning World Series champions, it's looking like it is the end of the Freddie Freeman era in Atlanta with the signing or the trade to acquire um, Oakland first baseman Matt Olson. And I will say, I called this last episode, James knows, I said Matt Olson would probably be traded. And here we are, Matt Olson is traded to Atlanta for four pretty good prospects. So you have Christian Pashi, uh, Shea Longaliers, Ryan Cusick, and Joey Estes. Probably messed those up, but you're getting some pretty good um, prospects, players that you know maybe in the MLB in the next two years, year two years. So you know if you're an Oakland fan, it sucks. Your team's going to be really bad. Um, I guess you have Matt Chapman, but your team's going to be bad. But at least you're filling up those prospects. But for Atlanta. Um, you're, you're getting a a really, really good first baseman, somebody who, um, is still, you know, only, I think four years into his career in the major leagues last year, he played 156 games, batted 271, 39 homers, 111 RBIs. Keep in mind, he was playing in Oakland, which is a tough ballpark to hit in. You know, it's the seventh toughest for hitters now moving to Atlanta where balls will fly basically taking that Freddie Freeman spot. And on top of that, not only did he sign or uh, get traded there, he was set to have two years of arbitration and then become a free agent again. But only today he decided to sign an eight-year, $168 million extension with the Braves. So he is you know, locked down as their first baseman for the next, next decade. Freddie Freeman's going to be out of there. This is a big move in the NL East once again. James, give me your thoughts. Yeah, I think there's a couple different things to unpack here. Uh, One last thing I just want to touch on um, in relation to Matt Olson is that in the last year, he dropped his strikeout rate from 34% to 16%. And when you're talking about a guy who is one shy of uh, 40 home runs and over 110 ribbies, you know, that's a meaningful difference. It's a big addition for the A's. I mean, not necessarily addition. I would say you're pretty on par. Um, let me first start actually on the Oakland side of this. Look, as you had, had identified, and I think it was within 24 hours of us recording the first pod that uh, you called the Matt Olson trade, and here we are. But I think 
it's pretty clear that the A's were always good enough to be relevant and not written off, but no one's ever thought the A's have been contenders. They just weren't in a position where they were really going to be able to compete. They were lucky to fight their way out of the AL West every year. So, you know, I think for them, it's kind of taking a step back. Uh, and if you're one of those smaller market teams and you're not going to be able to just be signing every free agent that opens up, you got to start with the prospects. So if you're going to start parting ways with guys, you know, getting a nice haul of prospects where they can maybe ship it, make some other deals. Uh, as you said, there's Matt Chapman who potentially they can look at a trading, you know, package him with some prospects and see what comes back. But so from Oakland side, I don't think it's the worst thing that's ever happened. It does suck when you have a guy who's only four years into his career playing great and you got to let him go. But this is the business. From Atlanta side, I like the trade. You know, keep the same World Series team. Freddie Freeman, the MVP, he's leaving. It, I mean, it would assume no official news is out, but I can guarantee you they don't trade their top four prospects and sign this extension and then re-sign at first baseman. So uh, the thing I don't get is that you, I like the trade. I don't like the extension. At eight years, 168, you more or less could have gotten Freddie Freeman plus or minus $20 million in aggregate on this deal. To me, then when you're bringing that out, you're talking, what, two to three million per year extra to make Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman. And I think that that gap is well worth that money. So I think that's probably where my, you know, where I come in. And of course, we're not in those conversations. I don't know if Freddie Freeman has told the Braves front office, I'm not re-signing. There's no number that, you know, there could be reasons we don't know. But to me, it's like, well, you signed roughly a same value contract you could have just given to your guy. I will say, cool story, Matt Olson, Atlanta guy, Braves fan. Um, you know, uh, Maddox back in the day, he was saying he was in the stands, big fan. So that's always kind of a fun thing. Hopefully he digs up a pic uh, picture or two of him in like a Braves uniform or something fun. But I don't know, Max, what do you think about that in relation to like, you could have had, you know, what I would call maybe Walmart brand Freddie Freeman. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. You know, maybe you could have Freddie Freeman. You know, we don't really know what type of offer he was given by the Braves or if he wanted to stay in Atlanta because he's been there for a while. One big difference, though, is that Matt Olson's only 27, where Freddie Freeman's 32. So signing him for an eight-year contract, you know, you're probably getting Matt Olson in his prime for the next eight years. Um, and I think there's a you know, player option after that. But for somebody that's, one, young, but two, shown exceptional improvement over the past couple of years. I mean, you, you mentioned that stat. One of the biggest um, knocks on him was his K rate. And in the, the past year, he dropped it basically in half from 34% to 16%, which now he's, you know, that's an elite K rate for, for an elite offensive player. And putting up the numbers he is in a stadium like Oakland and moving somewhere like Atlanta, I mean, I think it's a great signing for Atlanta. Now you have Matt Olson locked down. You're getting Acuna back. Um, you know, who's, who knows what will happen with Solaire, but you've got a lot of good players um, from that championship team last year. Dansby Swanson's coming back. Max Fried, good um, Charlie Morton. A lot of those the pitchers, I think they're a big threat to go – um, back to back. But one thing we have to remember is like we said with Brad Hand, the NL East, I mean, 
the Mets are there who have been spending money like crazy. The Phillies with the reigning NL MVP and maybe getting Chris Bryant too. Um, it's going to be tough in that division, especially when you're playing each other all these different times. So it's going to be tough to get a wild card when you might, you know, take extra losses because you're playing a tougher schedule. But I like the deal. Um, I do. I think it's great for Atlanta. It sucks for Oakland, you know, in the short term, but you're picking up some good prospects. We'll just have to see how it plays out for Oakland in the future. You know, they made a, they made some good runs in the past couple of years, you know, with a competitive team, not really going deep in the postseason, but having a competitive team that was there and competing for playoff spots or competing in the in the divisional series. We'll have to see how this happens, but I really like it for Atlanta and for Madison. Yeah, I think I think the the point on the youth is definitely or, or the age difference is probably the strongest point there because now you get that young core of Acuna and Matt Olson to build around and that young pitching staff. So they're going to be pretty good. And again, to me, the the ballpark is all going to equalize because you have to understand how many times this guy is going to have to face a rotation of the Grom. Max Scherzer and his old buddy Chris Bassett, <laughs> right? I mean th- that right there—that's going to be taking some, uh, taking some of those stats away. Just playing ridiculous pitching uh, weekends at a time in New York. But we'll see what he does. I think for if you're a Braves fan, it definitely was sad to see this announced a little bit. You know, um, Schnitker, the the coach or manager of the Braves, actually found out was out on a spring training field, and they kind of put mics and cameras in his face and told him. Uh, hey, you guys just traded for Matt Olson, which he obviously understood the the undertone of that message, which is Freddie Freeman is no longer a brave or is not going to be a brave again. Uh, so kind of emotional there. Their GM was borderline tears. So it definitely was sad for Atlanta, but you also went and it immediately addressed the weakness before it's even become official, right? Before Freddie could sign somewhere else and you can even be sad, you've got your guy in place. That roster's as good as it's ever been. And that's for a team that just won a World Series. As as you said, Max, they uh, they can make a run again, but in the NL East, nothing's going to be guaranteed. And, of course, extra wild card in the NL, but NL West is pretty loaded. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see if the Giants continue to be relevant, see how Tatis hurts the uh, NL West. But, right. but we'll see. We will see yeah, definitely a uh, good trade. And I mean, like, if you think about it, if, you, if you're the Atlanta GM, like, you, you have no idea when Freddie Freeman's going to make his decision, and you don't really want to sit around playing this waiting game with him. Like, is he going to sign here? Is he not? And then, you know, he hasn't signed yet, so a couple days from now, you know, then maybe he signs with L.A., and you're just, you know, left with no options. But if an opportunity like this presents itself where you can get Matt Olson for just some prospects when you're trying to, you know, compete for more World Series I think it's just a deal you have to take. You know, Matt Olson can be um, the next Freddie Freeman on that team. And to capitalize on someone like that without playing the waiting game with Freddie Freeman, as sad as it is, you know, to part ways with him, you know, he got the World Series last year. He, he had a hell of a career in Atlanta. I think it's a good decision by them to move on when they did. But you want to say anything else about that one? Yeah, I think the only other piece I would say then is as far as the Freddie Freeman conversation, which is obviously something that that we're uh, tracking 
you know, I imagine we have about one more episode, probably free agents. There's still about a list of 10 or so pretty powerful needle moving free agents to discuss. But for Freddie Freeman, I think the biggest, I think everyone would agree that it was probably the favorite was that he would just return to the Braves. So with that option off the table, with the Yankees making a splash in the trade and having to pick up Donaldson's money, I think the Yankees are probably out on Freeman. Nothing's guaranteed, but I think it bodes well for the Dodgers. Again, from what I've been seeing, the Rays have offered him a contract. I don't think that really is going to materialize, but it looks like the front runners are L.A., San Diego, and Toronto um, at the moment, which is a little interesting how Toronto kind of slid in there. I also don't believe the Padres' rumor mill. I think anytime LA's in on a free agent, the Padres are linked to it because that's what they do, and they just sit there, but they're a little brother, and they can't ever get the job done, um, except for Machado, but enjoy that contract. Um, you know, so I don't know. I, I would say my confidence level of Freddie, Freddie coming to LA is definitely going up at least a little bit. I would I would bet money he goes to LA to be honest. Um, I know there's been a lot of momentum around the Toronto rumor. Uh, rumor. Um, you know I think he's he has dual citizenship with Canada. I think he played on the Canadian national team once, so he has those ties. But I agree. I don't really see San Diego happening. It looks to me like we're going to get Freddie Freeman in a Dodger uniform and Anthony Rizzo staying in New York. If I had to guess, but you know, <laughs> let's talk about this last trade. Um, so this will be the last trade we talk about, the last topic of the day. Probably the hardest hitter in my mind. This is just absolutely absurd. I mean, so we're going to talk about the trade between the Cincinnati Reds and the Seattle Mariners. I mean, this is like Cincinnati does not even care about fielding a baseball team. You know, the, the CBA was supposed to prevent tanking. And this is like just pure tanking in its finest form. It, it's insane what's going on in Cincinnati. Um, I mean, you look at a team that was relatively competitive, got a pretty bad matchup in the COVID year with the Braves. Um, having not had that matchup, they you know, could have done some damage. But this was a Cincy team that was incredibly fun to watch and was competitive most of the year. You had Jonathan India as a shining rookie, and we already discussed some of this, you know, but they trade Sony Gray, start to shift away from the bullpen. They have gotten rid of or not re-signing uh, Castellanos, which they were pretty open about. And now this deal, it I think you said it best. The Cincinnati Reds have no interest in actually marching out nine players that form a competitive MLB baseball team. Like that is not the function right now. They're doing strictly business, Fortune 500 you know, revenue and expenses out. There is no sport baseball, no considerations for that. It's just a Joey Votto farewell tour and a Jonathan India uh, parade. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all it is. If you look at this trade, so now let's get into it. So what did Cincinnati do? They traded Jesse Winker, who kind of came out of nowhere last year and was this over 300 hitter, one of the top hitters in all of the National League, um, an all-star and Eugenio Suarez, who has had a lot of really good seasons in Cincinnati, so much so that they gave him this massive contract, which is one of the reasons that Cincinnati's doing this deal is to dump that contract to somebody else. But they trade Jesse Winker and Eugenio Suarez 
for A. Eugenio Suarez to the Seattle Mariners for Dustin Dunn, Brandon Williamson, Mike Fraley, and a prospect to be named later, which apparently the Reds are high on, like top 20 range prospects. But, I mean, Brandon Williamson, first of all, is a, is a good top left-handed pitching prospect and definitely the biggest part of the steal. The other two players are just like – you know, they're, they're either a major league pitcher or a major league ready pitcher in Justin Dunn. Um, and Mike Fraley is, you know, he, he'll probably get into that everyday rotation for or everyday outfield spot for the Reds taking Winker's spot. But he's by no means, you know, a top end player. I mean, this is ridiculous. The Reds are doing all of this to dump a Eugenio Suarez's contract. And I guess the price they're paying for it is with the Jesse Winker, which is a really tough price to pay. I mean, he was, you know, one of the standout anomalies of last season, him and Castellanos kind of carrying that team. And what I don't get is, it, to me, it seems like the Reds have been in rebuild mode since 2015. And finally, they get this good team. You know, they have Sonny Gray, they have Jesse Winker, Castellanos, a Eugenio Suarez they pay for, they get young rookies and Jonathan India, they have Moustakis. They got a lot of these good players, and now they're just sell them all. You know, they lost Wade Miley before the lockout. They lost Sonny Gray that we talked about last episode. Now they're losing Winker and A. Eugenio Suarez. Castellanos is almost a lock to sign somewhere else after he opted out of his contract. The Reds are just going into complete rebuild mode. I mean, they don't even have a team to field to start the season. But, you know, one thing I really like about this um, – <laughs> from my perspective, is as a Cardinal fan, now the Reds are a nobody. The Pirates have a young core, but they're you know still young and not going to really compete. The Cubs, like we said, sold everybody last year: Brian Rizzo, Javi Baez. They have Stroman now, but they they're not a huge threat. So it's basically just St. Louis and Milwaukee. And we talked about this last time, but it's only underscored now. I think betting both the Cardinals and the Brewers to make the playoffs, especially in an expanded playoffs, is an absolute lock of a bet. Even though, you know, they're um, you know, they're gonna be fighting for each other for the division, they're both gonna be beating up on these teams for most of the year. They're both gonna get in with wild card spot, almost guaranteed. But if I was a Cincy fan, man, like <laughs> I gotta feel bad. Yeah, I don't as you said, it's weird because they did this rebuild thing where they moved off of the team they had, you know, and this was in the they dumped Johnny Cueto, this whole era. Brandon Phillips retires and moves on. That whole Cincy team starts to unwind itself, and they build all the way back up and finally get on the brink of being competitive, and then – they just blow the team up. I mean, it's like you said, Castellanos and Winker were the Cincinnati Reds. Like those two, Jonathan, I mean, Joey Votto had some incredible runs and incredible stretches. And I mean, he's definitely like Mr. Red of the last two decades. But I mean, it to me, people complain about the salary cap and there's not the cap. And that's why the Dodgers and the Yankees year after year. And those are all valid concerns. But to me, you need to spend an equal focus on the teams and the owners who refuse to spend capital in a capital-driven league. And we're not talking, oh, my gosh, the Reds, you know, the Reds aren't pitting up. To, I'm not bitching that they're not pitting up $270 million to match the L.A. payroll. They're making this play so that their payroll goes from 
what would have been 130 million down to 90. I mean, and it's ridiculous. And all in all, they're going to end up giving up literally every player on their team. That's not Joey Votto or Jonathan India will pretty much be gone. I actually think that uh, Luis Castillo gets traded as well here sooner rather than later, quite frankly, because if not, why even keep him? I mean, this team cannot win games. I think your bet, Max, is spot on. Given how tough the NL West slash the NL East may be, sitting in Central as those top two teams being the Cardinals and Brewers, it's and what they're going to do to Pittsburgh and Cincinnati week in and week out is going to be borderline criminal. I mean, this Cincinnati team is about to get dragged through the mud, probably over 100 losses. I mean, I don't know. It's hard. Oh, well, this is, you know, my favorite stat to come out of all of this is that officially, after this trade, the sixth highest contract on the Cincinnati Reds books is Ken Griffey Jr., the same Ken Griffey Jr. who stopped playing baseball in 2008. And this is similar to Bobby Bonilla Day, you know, where they owe him back money and the way the contract works out. But either way, the balance carried over from a player who stopped playing 14 years ago is the sixth highest contract on their books. I mean, if that's happening as a fan, like that's, to me, that's a point where the league has to get involved. You can't genuinely have one of your highest earning contracts be a dude who hasn't picked up a baseball bat in 14 years. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's terrible for the Reds fans who actually love baseball. And I know we've been harping on the the Reds, but I want to talk about Seattle for a minute because they are in prime position now. I mean, Seattle already had a good team. They were already competing for a playoff spot last year and were, you know, it came down to the last couple games. They signed Robbie Ray. They have Adam Frazier, J.P. Crawford, Mitch Hanniger. Now they have two new players who are going to hop right into their opening day lineup in Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker. They are a team that's, you know, primed to compete for the AL West with the Astros. And the Astros at this point, I mean, if they don't get Correa back, which it's looking more and more like they might, um, the Mariners have a real chance to to make the playoffs and I think really compete for a World Series. This is a team that has has the pitching. It has the depth. Now it has the power. I really like the Mariners looking into 2022. Um, you know, they might be one team that I'm looking to bet on as the season progresses. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, other thing just on the Mariners side with the AOS, with the Oakland rebuild, now I think the AOS really becomes a uh, – battle between the Angels, the Astros, and uh, Seattle. But I think you have to favor Seattle at this point unless you find out the Angels are everyone's coming back healthy and 110% and ready to roll. Um, You know, and I know the Reds moved off of Suarez because of his big contract. If you're Seattle, it's kind of perfect. Um, You know, I think they have one to two years left on that, and that's going to fill Kyle Seeger, who just retired, give them a solid third baseman they can count on. Then you get that bat of Winker in. I mean, he showed at times, what, he had a four-homer game last year or at least a couple yep. three-homer game. I mean, just insane. So to get that bat up there, and like you said, Robbie Ray, Adam Frazier, J.B. Crawford, who I think maybe one of the most underrated players in the entire league, it, uh, it's a good team. Uh, and, you know, uh, Jared from Barstool is always saying they're America's team. So I guess good on uh, – 
Seattle America's team for uh, making some moves and really taking advantage of just terrible ownership and terrible management from Cincinnati. I mean, I think they need to sell. That ownership group needs to sell. That's still my bottom line of this trade. It's like if you're that close to being genuinely competitive, you know, I mean, I, I would think if they actually, if they were on the other side of this this trade phase and signing phase instead of offloading, they tried and picked up a piece or two. I think they could be genuinely competitive in the NL Central if you bring back last year's team and maybe make a signer or two. And I also think the NL Central is like it's primed for a third team that can kind of push against the Cardinals and Brewers. And the Reds were that team last year. And, you know, they had all these pieces. They were going to lose Castellanos regardless. But just basically giving away Winker and Suarez for free when you had, you know, you had Jonathan India, who was a, who was a rookie last year, and he was an everyday second baseman. Um, I don't know. Got to feel bad for Cincinnati fans. Got to feel good for Seattle fans. Seattle's going to be one of those teams where, you know, every time they're on on MLB TV, they're going to be a team that I'm looking to, to catch. Um, but... I mean, just there's not much more to say about it. The Reds are really just not even looking to field a baseball team this year. They're just looking to to pack it in, which is unfortunate because, I mean, they haven't really done much in a while. Maybe even – I mean, they so they made the playoffs, like you said, in that COVID year, but they didn't even score a run against the Braves. Um, and, bef- and before that, like, there was the, the, the Votto, Brandon Phillips, you know, even Adam Dunn era with that team. And – that kind of came and went, but the Reds are going to be bottom feeders. Seattle's looking to really make a move this year. James, like any final thoughts, anything else you want to add to this episode? Uh, I think just in conclusion, we didn't really talk about this, but uh, a little bit of kind of self suck on the podcast. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a roll. Uh, the free agency news has been coming in so hot that, uh, We've been recording. I think this week we will have ended up putting out four episodes. Um, but it's just because once there's so much news, we're like, we better, you know, talk about this and get this out there before it's an hour and a half of uh, baseball news. So hopefully a little bit shorter episodes. Uh, let us know what you think on that format and uh, continuing to maybe do a little bit of uh, less scheduled um, uploads just as we try and get through this free agent frenzy and then uh, get into some league predictions. Overall, though, I am so happy, Max, you know, we get right into this free agent thing and you kind of forget to be like grateful. But from where we were talking about the stupid CBA and lockout and not having baseball to big money trade. I mean, I forgot how fun baseball is. These crazy trades and free agent signings and and there's still plenty more to cover. As you said, Carlos Correa, Freddie Freeman still on the uh, agency block. You got some fun ones like Solar, Kenley Jansen that I'm looking at. Chris Bryant. Rizzo. Chris Bryant's still there, and I think he can make a big impact. You know, like you said, if he goes to the Phillies. Um, Trevor Story. That. Trevor Story, who I think also very, very good player. So um, still a lot to cover. But Trevor yeah. Story, that would be disgusting. If he was on with uh, Nolan, that left infield would be the best in baseball. Yeah, pair him back up. They were buddies back in, in Colorado. Um, back in the day. But, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll probably be back in, you know, maybe two days, three days from now when we get more signings coming in. Um, And then we're going to jump in to predictions. 
what lines we like, what what bets we liked for the future, you know, who we want to see win the World Series, who we think is going to win the World Series. So stay tuned for that. James, episode 16, it was good. Sell the Reds.